Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Catherine, we are back for a bonus episode on our Tuesdays because I think we're going to try and do a Tuesday episode where we give the listeners more current cases. So this is the place to come if you want the up-to-date information about what's currently going on. You've had another mass shooting. As an outsider, cannot think of anything more American at the moment than a mass shooting on Independence Day. It must just be devastating. It was very shocking, but it's hard for people to hear that word and say, aren't they all shocking? I want people to continue to be shocked and to cry about it and not to normalize it because it's not numbers. Seven people were killed, dozens injured as they marched and watched a 4th of July parade. So can you set the scene for us in terms of how the incident unfolded? This shooting is a little bit different than some of the other shootings that we talk about in that it occurred on the 4th of July during a public parade. It's not the first time there's been a shooting during a public parade. Let me tell you first, this was in Highland Park, which is a northern suburb of Chicago. I was in Chicago for my birthday and had an opportunity to spend some wonderful time on the lakefront there, which is gorgeous in Chicago. And Highland Park is just north of there in the suburbs, which statistically, you should know, a largest number of mass shootings occur in the suburbs. They're not in the city. They're not in the rural communities. They happen in all three of those, but the middle ground is where they happen the most, which is frightening. So that's exactly what happened here. Highland Park is a Gorgeous community, beautiful homes. I'll tell you, right after this shooting happened in Highland Park, I saw in my Twitter feed somebody say, this couldn't happen here. This is Highland Park. It's a wealthy neighborhood. And I thought, how unrelated to whether it could happen in your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I was offended by that. It is an offensive Uh, thing to say. That that you think that money is your protection. Money is your shield. And it just is not, right? So it's a little extra insulting to say, we have money, we shouldn't have these problems. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back to the actual incident itself. So there's a 4th of July parade going down a main street. And not too long after the parade started, suddenly a rain of bullets and terror commenced. Very quickly, it became apparent that there was a shooter who was at a higher location, which is less common, a shooter at a higher location who was firing. And not firing around, trying to shoot somebody, but was just kind of spraying the crowd. There were, as I mentioned, dozens injured, Mm -hmm. seven killed. It started with five, then the news went to six. As soon as something happens, many people send me text messages saying, my God, there's a shooting in X. There's two people killed, seven injured. So then it went from two killed 
to four to five killed to six to seven killed. So I never know when the number is going to end because yeah. until they get the number count on people who are transported to hospitals and until they track down everybody, we don't really know. But seven killed right now, many seriously wounded and still hospitalized, dozens injured, you know, high school marching bands moving oh. along, parents sitting with their kids on the curb. One of the couples, both husband and wife were killed, left a two-year-old child behind. So yeah, no, no good stories about the victims, no good stories for the survivors. That's just heartbreaking. And I know that we talk a lot about these shootings and so many of them have such terrible pieces to them, but I just wanted to raise a couple of concerns uh, because you've heard me say before that we know that in the wake of a shooting, there are more shootings. That's the contagion impact that we're seeing. And that has happened even yeah. since the 4th of July shooting, there have been subsequent shootings here in the States and also elsewhere in the world. So it's really incumbent on people to recognize that we are much more in an epidemic of this type mm -hmm. of violence. And you have to be ultra alert to those around you, and most importantly, to your own kids and yeah. to the people who fit into these age categories. I'd like to talk about uh, the younger age groups, uh, maybe how some of the laws have changed and uh, how the charges are still pending against some of these younger shooters of late. Yeah, I think that would be really interesting. Um, and we know statistically the average age is 35, but the handful of the most egregious shootings we've seen in the last few months clearly have occurred at the hands of younger shooters. Mm. And Highland Park was no different. The Highland Park shooter was young. So first of all, let me just say this. He was arrested. And so there's charges pending against him. So I don't want to imply that I have all the answers and that we have a solution to everything, but we have a lot of cases that are pending right now with younger yeah. shooters who are still alive. And a lot of times we don't have shooters who are still alive. This shooter also escaped from the scene, which I haven't seen very often in the cases that we've done. That's quite unusual, isn't it? Yeah, I wouldn't use the word escaped. He fled, right? Right. Yeah, true. He fled the scene for sure. He's 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And we have other shooters who are arrested at the scene. You're absolutely right. The Uvalde school shooter was at the scene and then eventually killed. And you know he never left the scene after his shooting. But there are plenty of other shooting situations where I look even way back to Aurora, Colorado, the theater shooting, which was another thing that just shocked the conscience of people because they had just gone there to see a movie. That shooter finished shooting, stepped out the back door and stood there. That happens. And we see shooters who complete their plan. Like Mandalay Bay, the tall tower, somebody shooting down, but then the shooter doing death by cop, essentially, right? That's right. But in fact, we generally don't have shooters shooting down and police officers are trained to look up. That's one of the simple things mm -hmm. that you're told, look up, your danger could be up. So they scan building tops and they scan windows as they do parade route protection and things like that. Mm -hmm. And in this case, you get somebody who pops up over the edge and that's what this kid did. He pops up over the edge and he begins shooting. First, you have to even determine where are these shots coming from? Yeah. And then you have people screaming and everybody's running. You have no mm -hmm. idea where they're running from or to, because remember, run, hide, fight. Run is what you're going to do. Whether they train you to hide or not, you're going to run. So we have better learn how to run. You don't know where the shots are coming from. Should I duck on this side of the wall or that side of the wall? So you were looking for where's the danger and how can I get away from it? Did they work out where his location was? They did eventually know where the shots yeah. were coming from, but he fled the scene, as you said, and took off and in fact left the city. He got in a car, he took off. I believe he was in Wisconsin. He came back from Wisconsin. 
Provence and police uh, were able to find him and arrest him. They were okay. able to identify him because he dropped his gun and the gun was legally purchased as most of these guns are. He left the gun. They immediately did a trace on the gun. They knew who they were looking for. Wow. Okay. Um, that's interesting. I did wonder how they got to him so quickly, but then I feel like there's eyes everywhere now, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. You know, every Starbucks has a camera and then every bank has a camera in front of it and people have their phones and they lift their phones up and they're saying, oh, he's up there. And all of that we put together to do investigative work. But that idea of being able to arrest somebody right away when something bad happens, that just takes good police work. If you're enjoying Stop the Killing, check out more podcasts from Community Podcast Productions, like this one. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son, who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims... Subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this, tickets that not only look but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything, from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. 
One of the reasons why I wanted to just let our uh, listeners, our viewers see this is this young man had interactions with law enforcement before this occurred. And so he was absolutely on the radar. Remind me how old he was. He was 21 at the shooting. Okay. But he was 19, like kind of three years earlier. Police had been called to his house because he had told family that he was going to commit suicide and he wanted to kill everybody. And there were two occasions when law enforcement came to his house. Mm-hmm. And in one of them, they took away 16 knives, no firearms, but 16 knives, a sword and a machete that he had said he was going to use to kill himself and his family. Wow. Okay. Now, a couple of things are jumping out at me there. So that was 19. Did that get reported to a system? Because if that had been reported, then surely he can't buy a gun legally. It was not. There's our first marker. If you're under the age of 21 in Illinois, you have to have a parental signature, a joint co-signature on your card to get the firearms authorization card that allows you to buy a gun. A couple of months after this last incident, law enforcement returned the knives and the machete and the sword to the dad because the dad said, those are mine. And he got them back. A couple of months after that, the dad signed for this kid to be able to get a FOID card. F-O-I-D, a FOID card in Illinois. And then he bought five weapons, including a semi-automatic weapon that was used in the shooting. Wow. Three months after these incidents, the dad signs for him to get the card. And again, the kid is the one who did the killings. If he's in fact convicted, he'll be convicted as a murderer. But the dad, I don't want to victim shame, but I'm asking, let's put the hands on the table. What do the cards say? Yeah. Well, the cards say. And interestingly, when we look at the case like the Oxford case, where the parents are culpable because they enabled him to get that gun to then use in the Oxford school shooting, the laws allowed him to get this gun legally and his parents have still enabled him to do that. But there's no culpability there, I'm imagining. Yeah. So that's a great comparison. And really one of the reasons why I just wanted to bring this up right now, because, you know, we all believe our kids. I always say that all the time. Teenagers, you know, they tell you everything they tell you is truthful and they hide things. We see after teenagers are arrested, after young people in their twenties are arrested, if they're still living with or in contact with family members, that they'll say, oh, I, I hid this from them. I yeah. stole money from them to buy it. I created a false wall in my bedroom to hide stuff. And I lied to my parents. I think the Oxford High School shooter, whose case is pending in Detroit, said that to friends online in chat rooms and said, um, I'm lying to my parents. I think they're beginning to suspect something. The Oxford High School shooting happened two thirds of a year ago. And those parents are still in jail being charged with involuntary manslaughter, these very serious charges. The parents purchased a gun for a minor, knew the minor was making threats. The court will have to prove those things in order to convict them, but they're still in jail. Now the Mm. father, which is the one person identified in this case, the father in the Highland Park shooting said, I don't think I did anything wrong. And I think that differentiation is, well, I'm legally allowed to do this. That's exactly it, isn't it? Yeah. In Oxford High School, the parents weren't legally allowed to purchase a gun for a 15-year-old and then give it to him as a Christmas present, which is what they did. Stocking friggin' Um, filler. Exactly. A stocking filler and very proud of the fact that they did that. But now both of them are in jail and they had no Christmas. Now, Um, around the same time as this has happened, there's been pushed through the new gun reform laws. Would any of those laws that have been pushed through, and we are doing a bonus episode on that next week, would any of those have stopped this killer in his tracks? Possibly. 
but I think it would take two steps. Right. This individual had talked about suicide and police had responded with concerns that he might kill himself or his family, but there was not a mental health evaluation that was reported on and put into some check system. This is a great example about one of the things that the federal law might help with is it allows for a more extensive, potentially extensive background check for people under the age of 21. So if he was 19 when he purchased these weapons, then the background check would allow not only the checking to see if he was a convicted felon and some other things, but also allow to check back to the local community, to the state and local law enforcement, potentially mental health people to see whether there was a reason why this person should not have a gun. If this federal law had gone into effect, you know, two years ago, it might have allowed the people checking his background when he was 19 to get a gun to see and tap into the local records for law enforcement and see that he had talked about killing his family and killing himself. And maybe that would have made a difference, but I don't know. And also on that point, there's no legal requirement for that to be reported into the next system, is there? That's still like a voluntary reporting system. No. So you hope that the person that has done the mental health check then reports it to the next system. And there's so much right. human error in there and so much human choice that's involved. Yeah, and manpower issues. Let's be yeah. let's be honest. It's a manpower issue too. And, and you say the NICS system, that's a federal system. Illinois uh, State Police has its own system too, and they issue a card. They check the background checks into the federal system, but then they have their own check systems. I think some states are shoring up their regulations a little bit. And maybe these incidences are ones that will provide for more financial support for Mm. the mental health departments, maybe create mandatory situations where reporting is done into the systems that have to do with background checks, but we'll have to see. And in the meantime, they're rolling uh, funerals in Highland Park uh, (laughs) right now. The couple whose two-year-old is left behind just unbelievable. Yeah, it is. It, it's a waste. All those people are gone because they're not just a number. They're people. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939 when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era like Cuba and Vietnam And I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. 
We don't have all the details. I didn't want to say these are the facts we know we have because we know some facts, some things have been reported, some might be wrong, but we do know that we have yet one more young shooter, some parental potential influence. And I guess because we've got a killer that is alive, we're going to see this case develop and we might actually come back and revisit this case at a later date and see what else we can glean from it and take away, learn from essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to talk about the, especially these cases that have to do with minors or young people, 21 and under, and uh, where we're seeing those cases trend. Yeah. And the other really important thing about this killing is the contagion effect. <laughs> this is the time to be on high alert, isn't it? Absolutely. I was traveling for work with clients and every day there was another shooting and some of them are national, some of them are international. Mm. The word gets out there and and they don't all blend together. The assassination of a former prime minister in Japan is oh. different yeah. in some ways than these types of mass killings that have to do with people who are struggling to fit in society or maybe don't want to live anymore. And that's different from a, somebody who wants to commit a terrorist act. But still, they're all terrible firearms deaths. And one absolutely leads to another. That contagion impact is there. Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to Community Podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And you'll find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stop the Killing Stories or Twitter at STK Podcast. Come and join the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. All the links are in the show notes. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. Hello? It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it because it will happen and it will happen in places you wouldn't expect be ready for it You may recall I mentioned at the end of the last episode, Catherine and I met some incredible podcasters at CrimeCon in both Vegas and London this year who create ethical and compelling content. So let me introduce you to one such podcast. Hi, friend. My name is Eric carter Dean, and I am the host and producer of True Consequences Podcast. This is not your typical true crime podcast. You see, my brother was murdered over three decades ago in New Mexico, and I have been fighting for justice for him ever since. 
I created this show to advocate for my brother's case and for others in my community who are seeking justice. I cover cases with an empathetic lens because I know what it's like to seek justice for a family member. True Consequences covers cases from New Mexico and the American Desert Southwest. Give my show a shot. You can listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or you can go to trueconsequences.com. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.